No, I, I wish I knew. Cyberbullying is a huge problem in America. You need to tell somebody. Over 3.2 million students are victimized in bullying each year. Approximately 160,000 teens skip school every day because of bullying. Are you the 160,000 that skip every day? Hey, it's not snowing anymore. I don't have to sign up for text messages. But Monco text messages aren't just for snow. What else are they for, then? In case of any emergency or weather-related closing. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm in the loop all the time. All you have to do is sign up. Where at? At mc3.edu slash txt, and it's very simple to sign up. Text messaging from Monco isn't just for snow. mc3.edu slash txt. I don't think anyone knows really how to access Monco Radio. Is it, like, what's the station? I don't know. I'm sorry. Just putting that out there. You don't know how to access Monco Radio? Of course you do. You're listening to Monco Radio with music in mind. And welcome to this special edition of Meet the Press Slam on Monco Radio. I am your host, Danny Kugler, and my guest today is someone who is near and dear to my heart, um, honestly. And he's a big wig in the internet wrestling community. He's always posting great things on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and he's a wrestling connoisseur like that, Chris. <laughs> I called your friend Dylan Hales an independent wrestling connoisseur, which he is. Um, and so I thought... Uh, Calling you a wrestling connoisseur would be great. Um, and historian, and he has a huge collection of wrestling magazines, newsletters, and videos. He is one of the hosts of Between the Sheets podcast with David Bixenspan, and Exile on Bad Street podcast as well on the Between the Sheets feed, where he and various guests talk about, about a variety of topics in the wrestling world. He is also the moderator of Place to Be Nation's post-pay-per-view shows with Devin Hales, he works at the grocery store, which you can hear all the shenanigans on the Between the Sheets Patreon page. He's an all-around good guy and a fantastic friend. He is Chris Zellner. Chris, how you doing today? Doing great. Uh, great introduction. Uh, uh, definitely appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, and all that stuff is true, too, which is, which is, which, when you build an introduction, you, you're, like Joe Lanza is the uh, uh, master of this, where he's like a reasoned and well-explained man. Hey, pro- your problematic fave. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good introduction. You know, that, that's definitely the truth. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining me live on Monco Radio. We are live today. It's excellent. <laughs> Yes, and we we always we always do this. We've been talking about this for about like two years now, like ever since you were on getting the ring. And join me live too, which is really, which is really a treat because Chris is a tr- is a true wrestling historian, and he knows the world of wrestling better than anyone else, in my opinion. Maybe Cubs fan. <laughs> well, yeah, he, well, he's, he's amazing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
I've been a fan for 30, about almost 35 years now, so, uh, yeah, I know a little bit. Yeah, you don't know everything. No one knows everything, but you know what you know. <laughs> so my, so my first question for you is a doozy of a question. Um, so what are some of the broader things you have learned over the past four years doing Between the Sheets? With Jason Powell, correct? When Jason Powell got on board, yeah, and uh, you were getting uh, this exclusive stuff, and you learn that stuff, and of course, Matt Watch would be, of course, all the great access Steve Beverly had to guys like Jim Hurd and Jack Petrick, who was the boss of the company, talking to them directly when, when nobody else was. So you, you learn all kinds of stuff. Um, stuff behind the scenes, uh, just stuff that happened as far as like television goes. And yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot we get into. I think that the Patreon shows that we do every month when we focus on specifically one topic in general, those are the shows that I really learned the most on. Right. I agree with that too. I learned. We're focusing on one thing and we're taking, you know, months worth of stuff and going into it and instead of a week definitely learning yeah definitely learning experience sure. yes and I, I i feel like I, I as a listener to between the sheets that i learn like this overload of information that you can't process all at once that's why it takes multiple listens to a between the sheets to see like where where did this come from and how did this ha- happen you know Sometimes you, I mean, it's like watching watching television shows or watching movies. You know, you go you go back and rewatch it or re-listen to it, and you'll probably find something that you missed the first time. That's definitely. Yes, and with these shows, they're so multifaceted and multi-layered, as well. When 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 you did John Clark, for instance, for current uh, WCAU. Uh, mm, um, sportscaster and um, former, he's a local guy, and I messaged him. I was like, I was like, hey, I didn't know you did wrestling, <laughs> because he never mentions it, you know. So I was like, well, blown. That's understandable for some people. Yeah. <laughs> I was blown away, and it's understandable. But at the same time, he responded to me, and he said, I did some wrestling back in the day. I don't follow it much anymore, but, but I really appreciate. The work that these guys did to bring my stuff back to light. He had a great uh, newsletter, Wrestling Flyer, which uh, 
I mean, he he would get some really exclusive interviews with uh, Watt, Vicious, Yazi, and and other people. That uh, yeah, he's one of these that he just had it for a very short time, and uh, he went on to do bigger and better things, and yeah, stuff like that too. You know, there's other little niche newsletters that we've popped into in the past. That um, yeah, it, it, getting that information out there to people that wouldn't normally have that access to the information that's always a good thing how have you accumulated the newsletters you use the observer site of course well um we're lucky in a way um i have physical copies of some stuff but i don't really have to don't have to use them because unless i really have to i mean it's in case some I can't read good off of uh, a scan, but we have two two uh, people that have uh, given us access to a special uh, Google Drive. Oh, wonderful! Uh, of, of information and uh, that they have set up, and uh, it's been gone since uh, for some of the some of the stuff that we've had. Uh, of course, the uh, websites in general for the observing the torch. Um, they're, they're big helps as well for the stuff that they have up. You know, certain time period, but they don't have everything up. The no. Observer, Observer goes, there's their website, you know, you go from like 91. 202. To, to, yeah, to 2002, basically. Well, a certain point. They're just now in 2002. Right, so they just that, started. Yeah, because I had to, uh, we got 2002 coming up, and I had to uh, get, get them off of uh, that Google Drive notes and um, and then of course when they start putting them on the side after that in the mid 2000s you have them up Torch Torch has mainly started in like 90 I mean they got them in, they got a lot of them up in the old days but like their old format started in like 93 and uh, they had pretty much have it up for the rest so there's it, it, we're lucky that like, like I said that we have you know some people that have set stuff up for us that upload, have uploaded stuff it's easy for us to have access to and is Bix the one responsible for wrangling up the clips um well he's the Bix, Bix you know my coach Dave Bixman does um, he does the producing uh he does all the uh, the audio stuff and everything um he he's the one that sets all the clips up yeah I mean I'll find stuff I'll find the stuff, or we'll hope he'll find some stuff, and uh, he'll be the one to set it all up. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a producer. No. Just, uh, yeah, you're. I, 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 I need to learn that type of stuff, but um, that's not my forte. Yeah, I I know what you mean. What's what about doing between the sheets is throwing to you? Is it going through the newsletters, rewatching things, or doing the actual shows? Doing the actual shows, probably. Um, because I mean that's the culmination of everything involved I mean yeah you watch stuff and yeah you do the notes but when you actually are making it come to life that's the best part yeah and it, it comes to life it, it definitely comes through to the listener that you guys have a sort of camaraderie you Bix when Alan's on you guys do have a camaraderie when uh when Bo is on, especially when Bo's on. Um, well, Bo, Bo James has become, you know, he's our constant guest. 
I mean, we try to have him on at least once a month, and uh, he's just he, he, he a beacon. Time, there's nobody really like him, really, and because uh, Bo started out so young in the business and has been in the business for for all these years, thirty years now. When did he and, start out? Was what was that? When did he start out? He started out. I mean, he started promoting towns when he was fourteen years old. <laughs> He started promoting town. He started promoting his own towns for uh, Continental when he was 14 years old. And Continental was Rob Fuller, right? That would have been the end of Continental. Yeah, that would have been David Woods and Robert Fuller booking, yes. And then once they went away, um, he started doing independent stuff, and then he formed his own wrestling promotion, Southern States Wrestling. And uh, he was like, uh, he was still basically a teenager then. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So, I mean, he uh, and Southern States Wrestling is still going strong for Bo. He has his own streaming network, and you can follow him on King & King Sport and get all the information there. But, yeah, Bo, Bo is a treasure for us. And, and, uh, treasure trove. Uh, always, it's always great to have him on. It's an it's easy show for Bo James. It's, we know... We know it's all not going to be good, and we just sit back and let it roll. And uh, there's other guests like that, too. Whenever Dylan Hales is on with oh, us, yeah. he's show. Uh, Dylan can't be on as much as he used to because... Uh, he's Mr. Uh, Independent Wrestling. Yeah, that, that's consumed his life. Uh, and, you know, and whenever we get other... I mean, there are a lot of great guests that we've had on this show. Um, Todd Martin. Always great. Al Getz is great. Todd we had on once, and we need to get him back on again. But Al Getz is great. Uh, MLJ is always fun to be on with us. Uh, Bruce Mitchell is always a great guest. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests. Joe Sposto. Dave Prezak, of course. Oh, we can't leave out Dave Prezak. Um, yeah, Jordan Breen, always, uh, you know, got to get him back on again soon. So. Yeah, Makabe on um, last week. I mean, I can name Mike Supervivi. We, 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 we got... We got so many great guests. There's never been a bad guest on Between the Sheets. That's one thing I can say of all the shows we've done, and not every week has a guest. And, right. But uh, every guest we've had has been a good guest. I've never said after the show that uh, I wasn't pleased with how that went. So. Yeah, because everyone brings a different perspective to the table, too. When you go into doing a Between the Sheets, you're the guide, and, like... Like, it was a great example listening to Daniel Makabe tweet, like, listen, listen to him, like, do, like, DVD, DVD, VR stories and all this stuff. And he didn't remember everything, but, but it was, like, great insight. Well, the fact, that, the fact is that, you know, I found out, you know, who he actually was uh, right before we started recording the show. And I've been knowing that guy for 20 years. And, I mean, when I found out what his, his shoot name was... I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> and I like the rewatch aspect of it, too. Like, like sometimes when I listen to Between the Sheets, I'll go back and rewatch that edition of World Championship Wrestling that's on the network or on YouTube and, and see what... Yeah. And you can see what actually went on, and wrestling is just a beautiful thing, <laughs> isn't it? as long as I have been if it, if it was and even, and even some of the bad stuff but I mean WCW had a lot of bad stuff over the years oh we'll get to that <laughs> bad in an endearing way yeah <laughs> now there's some stuff that I mean 
like you watch some some of the ECW from the latter era or oh yeah WWF and stuff like that. It, it's just it's like, cringeworthy. But WCW just has on a, just an endearing thing for me that no matter how much I know this stuff sucked sometimes, it's still. WCW. <laughs> it's WCW everybody. I mean, what do you say? WCW everybody. Speaking of, one, two, three. WCW everybody. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Favorite, yes. favorite WCW everybody moments. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Huh? Yeah, there is. I know. We could go like 45 uh, minutes on this question. <laughs> I think one of my favorites is um, when it, and it's happened more than once. Uh, when they had to cancel center stage tapings and nobody knew about it. Uh, Like there's a line outside and like, oh, center stage is like, oh, we're close. (laughs) Yeah, stuff like that. Um, Getting, uh, airing the shows out of order. It's always always a good one, TV shows. Um, Showing promos for shows that already took place. (laughs) Just stuff like that. I mean, you can't, it can't be. Like, you can't do this crap anymore, and it's like, oh, my God. Like, Real Honor does it now, and you're like, this is bad. WCW has this endearing quality to it. Like, like it's like, okay, it's WCW. We'll excuse it. Or, I mean, it's something you kind of expect, too. Like that, it's been. It was like that for the whole company's existence. It was like that when Jim Crockett had it. I mean, they they would make the things where you would just see, okay, right? well we see where it comes from, you know. And there's other stuff that happened too. And WF has those moments as well that we go over. But it just seems like WCW had more. It's a recurring theme. Than any other company. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, it's easy to mislabel a tape, but <laughs> you know. Yeah. The amount of times. Yeah, they, they airing the wrong World Championship Wrestling and then figuring out halfway through the show. I was like, oh, we'll just keep playing. We'll, we'll keep you know, watching this. Like you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty ridiculous. Like I said on the show, it is what it is. Yup, and you say it all the time, too, and it's like, yeah. yeah. You, you, like some of the shows had me dying laughing. It, it's like, it's like almost like, okay, I need to calm down because this, 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 uh, thing is like really just not just having me die right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's almost like that where you can tell that we're like down the show too. Um, there's been moments with Dave Razak that we've had that. Bo James has had a Oh, the most famous one. Um, the High Spots, Rob Viper and... Uh, what's his... Bahari, yeah. Rob Bahari and... What's his other name? What's his friend's name from Calgary? Uh, uh, Robert O'Connor. Robert, Robert O'Connor. O'Connor. That episode, <laughs> I swear to God I listened to it three times because I'm like, dude, I can't believe he's saying after the crap he's saying. And I'm like... Oh, goes to Keone's, and you can follow him on Twitter. He, he he's a, he's a absolute joy, and and I messaged him after the show. I'm like, I wasn't expecting you to be this good, 
but you are this good. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's definitely an eccentric character, to say the least. And uh, <laughs> he's somebody else that we gotta get on back again too. We just gotta get the right. Make sure we have the right topic for, for him because he's he, he definitely uh, he has his opinions and he's something else, man. I, I love O'Connor, and we were told that. Got, once you have O'Connor on, I mean, it's, it's going to be something else. And it definitely was. And um, yeah, What, by Viper? The different type of guests that we have that are just so, you know, different in different types of guests, you know. And, and Rob Ahari, kind of, I love Rob Ahari for years. And um, he's a great guest as well. Yeah, Joey freaking like, Janela on. <laughs> Joey Janela, yeah. Joey's a. And we're going to have to get Joey back on again in the future, too. Joey's a great guest. Uh, he's a, a fan like all of us was. You know, he's younger, though, than me and Bix, at least. But How old is Bix? He sounds young. And uh, he's, he was a great guest. And I w- you know, wish we would have had him for more of the show. But he's a busy man, everybody knows. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, we're going to try to get more great guests and more you know, different guests in the future. And... Uh, yeah, we're just going to keep going as long as we can. How old is Bex? <laughs> Bex is... He sounds young on the show. That's why I well, wonder. He's, he's, all, he's always young to me. I mean, basically, because I've been known since he was a kid. He was a teenager. Right, he's because he was calling into the Yana shows, right? Well, Bex, I mean, when I first had a conversation with Bex, he was 16. So Bex is... Bex will be 35 this year. You're make, I, you're making me feel old because I'm 23. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a while since I've been, since I've been 23. <laughs> you're. Uh, but yeah, but Bix, uh, yeah, Bix will be 35 this year. So. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it's like you. He's always seen young. He's always just seen the same age to me. And when I, and when I saw him on the Hogan documentary, I'm like, dude, I did not expect him to look like that. <laughs> Well, you never know what people look like. I mean, no. Online is, uh, sometimes, sometimes you can you can get a grasp and be correct, but you know sometimes you can't. I mean, there's a lot of people I've met from the online community when I met them online. I said, well, well, I didn't have never seen their picture before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like when I first saw Joe Lanza, I'm like, yeah, that's Joe Lanza. You know. <laughs> um, some of us like anonymity too, with like myself. Yeah, so, I would recognize your voice, of course, but, but yeah, but I mean, I, I, I like, I'm like, you know, I'm just, that's just not me. I don't like putting my uh, photos out there for, for various reasons. So I mean, I, yeah, you just want to go to work in the morning. I'm private. I'm, I'm a private person. What can I say? Yeah, you just want to go to work in the morning and and not be bothered at the grocery store, because that would be annoying. Wouldn't it be? Like, if everyone knew who you were. I've never had it happen. I mean, I, I, I do have friends that I, that I work around, not work with specifically, that have listened, though. But, I mean, because they saw it on Facebook. But right. Stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of want to keep, you know, my, my, my private life and the Internet life a little different. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, they're sort of blurred for me because I, I'm in the bit business I, I'm at the monster battery so it's like you have to promote yourself you have to show your photo out there but you, with you it's oh, yeah. it's like more like private in like the way it, it's done 
Um, we sort of touched on this when we were talking beforehand. Uh, which shows are most meaningful to you? What topics really tickle your fancy when it comes to Between the Sheets? 80 shows are always the best shows because that's, I mean, that, that's what I grew up with. That's my childhood. Um, early 90s, following that line, too. Those, those shows always have a near and dear place to me because of, I mean, that's just, that's when I grew up. Right. Um, play, play great clips and stuff like that. And just, there was so much great wrestling around the country because there was all these other promotions that were still around. And the world, too, so, because of Japan. Japan as well. Um, those are always great. Um, hmm. I mean, that, anytime that we cover uh, USWA, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, when we do uh, USWA, everybody, Mr. Cole. <laughs> I wanted you to do that. <laughs> every time that we uh, have some Corey Macklin clips, of course, Corey Macklin. Uh, announcer for the USWA in the 90s. Anytime we have that stuff is always good. And, uh, and your impression of him is spot on. <laughs> it, I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> well, it, sometimes I, I do it better than others, but uh, if I don't have any sickness or anything. But, uh, I mean, those are always great. I mean, USWA Clips is great. Smoky Clips is great. I mean, the mid-90s, you know, with those promotions. And ECW when it was at its best. Like 95, 96? Yeah, those, that, that era, it's always fun to cover. Um, and I, in 2000, in the early, in the, uh, I know we haven't done a lot of those shows because they are very long, but, you know, the, the early 2000 US NDC is always great. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I was, I, I was such a big part, you know, being part, such a big part of that boom with the Death Valley Driver guys and we were, you know, not the, you know, pat ourselves on the back, but we were the driving force. We were kind of like pacemakers at the time, you know, that, that board and, you know, putting that stuff out there and being a part of it, knowing guys that was in the business then, just friends of mine and stuff like that, being able to talk about that to a generation that was very young when those shows were going on, because you look at it now, I mean, Ring of Honor is now 17 years old. Yeah. It's amazing to think about. Ring of uh, Honor is a teenager. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's almost old, you know, almost old enough to vote. So, I mean, you, you look at, you know, that stuff's been now so long ago. There are people listening to the show, and I know this from interacting on Twitter, that there's people that weren't even born yet. I mean, we have listeners that are under the age of 18 that, you know, that, that weren't born yet that's finding out about this stuff. And... This is why wrestling history needs to be alive. I'm going to get on a diatribe right now. Um, this is why wrestling history needs to be alive in the actual history of the business, not what WWE wants it to be mold. Because... Well, they do a great job of what they do, but you got, you, you, you got to take the full you know, story. You can't just go... You can't take everything that they say as a god. No, and you can't take everything that Dave... You watch it, you watch it, you enjoy it, but... You know, you just can't believe everything. And but you... That's the wrestling business. The wrestling right, the wrestling business is full of carnies. So, I mean... And it's so like, you can't take anybody at total face value, like Dave Meltzer, or Wade Keller, or Steve Beverly, or yeah, Brian Last. And that's nothing until we've on the show is, I mean, those... 
nobody's perfect. And a lot of these guys that write newsletters, they have friends in the business, and they go work by them. <laughs> they would get worked by their friends, and they and, and they would get a partial part of the story, and not get the full story. Do you think Dave got the bad rap? You think Dave specifically got the bad rap? Um, now or forever? Both. Um, because I think I say, I say forever, yes. I say now he's done a lot of he's done a lot of things to warrant. Yes. The criticism he gets now, but uh, all times, yes, absolutely. Dave Meltzer's a huge, important cog in this business. Has been for many years. Um, and I was arguing. In a lot of ways. And I was arguing this with people that don't really know. And I listen to Between the Sheets every week. I'm immersed in 605. I'm immersed with Brian Last and that whole community. That. What Dave does, even though you might not agree with everything he says, like the apparent sexism or this or that or any anything like that, and I have several questions about this, is like, is like, it's different. It's different than what a Bill After was. Bill After's universally loved. He's from my area, um, and he's not, he's not necessarily universally loved, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you you know what I mean, though. I mean, people in the business. But people in the business. Yeah, I mean, my fa- fans, I mean, yeah, the after mags, quote-unquote, were an important part of a lot, a lot of people's childhoods. Absolutely. And then they look back fondly at people like Bill After, for sure, yeah. And Stanley Weston. Um, I'm not saying – and no one can be universally loved. Not even God. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. But at the same time, you, you look at the way Dave's treated to the way Bill is treated. Um. And the way Wade's treated in comparison to the way Dave's treated and stuff like that, I have several questions on that because I, I, I find it holistically interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Dave, I think I remember Dave's a guy who is now uh, 60. Yeah. He's, 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 he's my dad's age. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's been doing it forever. I mean, he's been he's been writing stuff since the early seventies. Right. So I mean, he's I mean he's getting close to fifty years of being you know around in wrestling fandom. Um. So the the fact that he's been at this long is is, is a definite credit to Dave. Yes. It- and without Dave, there's no between the sheets. Right, I, I said that. And we know that. And without Dave, without Dave and Wade, there's no between sheets. So I mean, we owe our any success that we have today. <laughs> I mean, Dave and Wade. I mean, and Steve Beverly and other people too that have written newsletters. But I mean, without them, we have no show. Right. So. Right, and. You know, I mean, I mean, everybody. Dave has his, like I said, Dave has his faults, and everybody does. Yeah, and everybody does. And that's why I give him a little more slack than some other people, um, honestly, because... And, and, we can't, and we can't blame Dave for the... I mean, yeah, he, he has his thoughts and stuff he puts out there, but, I mean, he has some sycophants that kind of make it all worse, too. Yeah! I mean, but that, but that's expected. Yeah. People, you know, that, that have, you know, what Dave has as far as, like... Uh, the penetration and stuff like that. Right, and the sycophant actually make it worse. 
You know what yeah. I? You know what I mean? The people who f- fixate on everything Dave says, and I'm like, don't do that. You're gonna freaking kill yourself doing that. Yeah. But. My fifth question for you, we, I've gotten, we gotten into a lot of great conversations here, and I, I'm loving this right now. How has the newsletter game evolved from, like, the, say, 1970s, 1980s to now? Is it the advent of the internet is the thing that changed the course of wrestling Absolutely. forever? Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a huge factor in it. Um, it's hard to do 80s shows because, you know, a lot... The 80s shows, there's not a lot of hard news, especially the early Observer. Oh, yeah. Observer started, I mean, the Observer was a fanzine. It was a fan newsletter for, for years until Dave finally started getting, you know, sources in the business that would give him information. And then it became more of a newsy thing. I'd say when Dave started writing for the National uh, in 90, the uh, daily uh, sports paper that came out, that was Frank DeFords. And once he wrote the wrestling, he wrote a weekly wrestling column in there. He got that credibility then, and then that that started it. And then the uh, the Vince McMahon steroid situation, the trial, and all this stuff came out. That's what really you know set him up to be the guy. Right. The when it comes to wrestling, um, was that right there? So we're looking at '92. So that definitely was part of it. I mean the. The, the, the late 80s, early 90s in the newsletters is, you know, that the beginning of it. And the 90s, as it went along, was that it was a true heyday. And now the thing is, what's changed so much in the last 10 years or so is that social media becoming as big as it did. Now the, the actual wrestlers and the promotion themselves can control the information. Oh, yeah. In their way. They can break the news. They could come out and ha- they have their voice out there saying this is false or this is not the real thing that's going on. And it's allowed them to contradict or to eat or contradict or to confirm what was being reported. Um, do you feel like WWE doesn't do that enough? Um, because they can really control the narrative and they. In my opinion, has it? Here's the thing with WWE right now. It's way different than it's ever been because you can get more information out of WWE from people that are not actually reporters in the business now than you can from the reporters in the business. Right. Uh, Because there are multiple people online that talk regularly to WWE talent and word gets out there on Twitter, especially through like or just getting out there on Twitter on whatever, however, that the information's out there in that way and the newsletters hasn't been reported on it or whatever. Um, and there's the, like Mike Johnson still has pretty good sources in the company. Sean Ross Staff is probably the best. Yeah, I was going to mention him. What's going on in, in, in WWE? I mean, Sean Ross Staff is pretty plugged in. He's one of the new breed of uh, wrestling journalists out there and, uh, I'm a big Sean Ross Sapp guy. I really enjoy him, and he's really good at what he does. So, I mean, he's one of the new breed out there with um, Fightful.com. So, definitely check him out there. And um, Yeah, it's Fightful, good friends of the show. There's more people that's in it now. It's not just a two-horse race with Dave and Wade. No. You know? How did Mike Johnson get his start? I'm just wondering. 
How did Mike get his start? Mike Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Mike. God, Mike has been around for a long time. Uh, Mike was around with OneWrestling.com. Uh, that's when he first got out there with Bob Ryder and Dave Shearer. Of course, Dave Shearer still writes with uh, Mike on PWN Insider. PWN Insider broke off of One Wrestling, and uh, yeah, he's been doing it for years. Mike was an ECW guy. Right. You know, that's really got really made his hay, and uh, yeah, he's been he's been in it for over twenty years now. So. Yeah, it's amazing, like how these people age, and then you see the new breed, and there's sort of a reluctance, almost, to like see say say Sean WhatsApp. There's like, oh, look at this guy, you know. You know, he's he's not doing it right, you know. But he is doing it right. And Sean's a stand-up guy. Yeah, he's a young guy in his early 20s. I mean, he's definitely um, carving a niche for himself in, in, the, in the new wrestling media. How do you feel the wrestling media is treated? How do, what's that, what's that How do you feel the wrestling media is treated? Not well. Um, wrestling fans in general yeah um, <laughs> generalization they pretty, much, they pretty much see through them now um, because the thing is a lot of your established wrestling media have let their personal feelings get ahead of their actual reporting and I think that's a problem here's the, well, here's the thing though if you're gonna do that just have it out there in front. See, Dave, Dave used to be like that. Dave has now reverted back to more old '80s Dave than he was in the in the late '90s or what have you. Um, he's definitely gone back to pushing. You know, it's become more of a fanzine again in a lot of ways for who Dave likes. And Wade has that doing a torch for his favorites and people he don't like. But I mean, that's the difference. Although I. Hey, Let's be honest. I mean, real media these days has pretty much become that way too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, all your political media is all about pushing, the, uh, pushing their narratives they want to push for whatever they feel. So there's, there's nobody really. There's out no there escaping that, it. That's pushing real journalism, quote unquote. I mean, Sean Rossap again does that. And I'm, I know I'm really saying his name a lot, but he he really does the best job at probably doing that. Where you don't see a bi- real bias and stuff he d- puts out there, and but that's that's the world. Like I said, that's the world today. It's yeah, for sure. Is you don't have nobody that's like I said pushing their narratives out there to try to report stuff as facts. Right, and and like the way like, and I know Bix has gotten on a lot of diatribes about this. Like, well, you know, he's biased too. Well, I mean. I, on everything, and that's him. You know, and I do too. But I'm not a, but I'm not a reporter. <laughs> and Vince is a columnist as well. I mean, he he's kind of different in that way. So he he has more leeway and 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 feeling the way he does and saying the stuff that he does because of that. But um, but yeah, I mean, I if you're going to be a quote unquote real reporter. You know, you just gotta be careful, I think, in how you handle it. Yeah, and it's sort of like you feel differently 
about everything. And it it's a murky line. It really is a murky line. Um, how has Dave Meltzer, Wade Keller, Steve Beverly, Bruce Mitchell, and the fan club newsletters changed the way wrestling was viewed? Well, you get to see it from a different light than you would have from uh, the magazines. Cause the magazines were all, you know, about pushing the, the, the work part of it, the narrative part of it, or creating their own stories, manufacturing stuff. Um, to sell magazines, that's their job. Um, the newsletters, to sell newsletters, they need to get out there and have news. <laughs> and if you don't have the news that people want to read, then you're not going to be successful. Right. So they're getting out there and doing what they got to do to get it out there. It's like any other type of publication. You know, you gotta you gotta have the goods to appeal to your to your public, to the, your consumers. And if you don't come through with it, then they're not going to be uh, supporting you much longer. Right, because I know somebody who runs Wrestling News Source, um, dot com, and it's like, like we just got to keep pumping out, pumping out. Like the Daily DDT is the same way. Like let's say I'm involved with, and I'm like, guys, it's not that serious. <laughs> well, here's another thing too. That that goes to another thing that's really changed about the the business. You got a lot of these websites that are out there that I mean they are more aggr- aggregators than anything else. Yeah. I mean they're taking stuff from other places and they're putting it out there, and that's where people are getting it. getting it is they're getting it through them instead of getting it directly from the source. Which hey whatever I'm not knocking the hustle, but I mean I'd rather get it directly from the source personally. Yeah, me too. I mean, it is what it is. So, I mean, I'd rather just get it directly from the source and not have to go through, you know, whatever you might go through to get it. Yes. So, so this is the major question. Uh, do you think the God status of Dave Meltzer has gotten annoying or condescending to people? How do you feel about Dave responding to every Joe Schmo on Twitter who doesn't know better? What does Dave have to do to gain the reference he once had? Dave's Twitter is Dave's Twitter. Um, Dave has kind of like a Twitter gimmick he basically does. Yeah. Now, and I I don't know why you know why he always does what he does. You know, um, that's him. Uh, it can get annoying at times, but again, that's his Twitter thing. So if if you don't want to you don't want to see it, then just unfollow him. Mute him. him or do whatever you know. That's why I look at it. I mean. He's going to do what he does. Um, regarding God status, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he is the guy for that's been the guy for wrestling information for all these years, and there are a lot of people that take what he says as the gospel. Right. Right. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but I mean, it just people are going to do what they're going to do. Um, right. And me and John, I had John McAdam on yesterday. John's a great guy. Um, and oh, yeah, he's yeah the great 80 series um yeah. and he's like he's seen people mentally break down in front of dave <laughs> and i'm like i'm like how does dave handle it <laughs> i i have no idea without him everybody you know 
Dave is considered he's a uh, he's a celebrity in his own way, and there are people that have reactions to celebrities. So I can understand it in that way. It is kind of odd, but I can understand it that way, look, looking at it from that direction. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I've never met Dave personally. Hopefully, one day I will get to meet Dave personally. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's definitely interesting. That, so, that would be an interesting meeting of the minds, <laughs> to say the I mean, least. I've spoke, spoke with him, in, you know, online many times. I've never had a phone conversation with him, and uh, you know, I would like to try to get him on between between the sheets, or well, that may not be as likely these days. But at least X off Ash Street. So. Yeah, Dave. Um, what are the main differences between Meltzer and Keller and to a lesser extent Matt Alvarez and Mitchell you've noticed through the years? Well, Alvarez is, uh, he's a guy that kind of goes for, uh, I'm going to say more comedic way. Of, it used to be more comedic way of doing things with those three or four weekly and stuff like that. But he has, I mean, he just has his own way of writing, which is different than anybody else. Bruce is Bruce. If you, if you meet Bruce Mitchell, in person, then you understand completely the column. Bruce is a funny guy, and Bruce has an interesting way of looking at the business. And he's been a fan of it forever. He's a staunch Jim Crockett Emotions guy and everything like that, and he has a certain way that, you know, he looks at the business and it makes him different from everybody else, just like Alvarez. Wade, Wade is, he's more of a tempered approach kind of guy. Um, you know, the thing about Wade is you, you know when he likes somebody, you know when he doesn't like somebody. He's more vocal lately than he used to be. Yeah, I noticed that. I really noticed that. He's definitely got more vocal in recent times, but um, once again, Wade was more measured. Wade would have a different approach. He'd have his own different set of sources that nobody else had. Because, you know, he had the Minnesota <coughs> Vince. and just was there. So he had, he had things that Dave didn't have, and Dave is just Dave. Dave's been Dave the same way for all these years. And, you know, you read him, you read him in the '80s, you read him in the '90s, you read him in 2000, you read him in, in, in the 2010s, the teens. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's that's very similar there, just the way he is. I mean, he, there's been a few changes here and there, but he's pretty much the same type of guy. Right. So, um, yeah, that's about the only. What has Vince's relationship been with the newsletters? I think you've covered that enough. It's been Rocky Road. I mean, he's had good relationships with Dave and Wade. He's had bad relationships with Dave and Wade. Uh, There was a time when Dave was actually, I'm going to say on the payroll, but I mean, he was working as kind of a consultant in the UF in the 90s. They had, they had, they had the big meeting at Titan Towers in '91. You know, where he brought Dave, Dave in, Wade in, other members of the wrestling media, in, and um, had a meeting there. I mean, it's just, it's lately, it's been more rocky than other times. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's especially with the digs at uh, Coachman. Yeah, Vince, you don't know what you're gonna get with him. So. What about the other wrestlers and the other talent and the newsletters? Well, I mean, there was a time here when that was definitely a, 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 a big thing. Pillman. For, uh, so Brian Pillman was, was tight with everybody. Eddie Gilbert was probably the tightest out of anybody with those guys. I mean, he, 
Eddie, because Eddie grew up in that business. Eddie was a fanzine guy. Eddie was a magazine guy. I mean, if Eddie would never become a wrestler, that's probably what he would have done. Uh, he was a photographer and did stuff like that. He wrote stuff up. Uh, so Gilbert had that. Cornette had that. Um, those guys that were coming from that, that were friends with, with all these people before they were actually in the business. So you, you had those relationships going on. Um, Chris Jericho has always been tight with Dave. Uh, Wade, of course, had Jericho as well. Sean Waltman. Um, a lot of other guys in, in that Minnesota area. Yeah. So wrestlers have had good relationship with the newsletters on a few years. And, of course, that's the thing with Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson at one point in time was, was getting all the big WWE stuff more than anybody else was because all the ex-indie guys, you know, had come into the company that he had been friendly with and, and stuff like that that I know that I talked to, he was able to get information from them. PW so, Spyware. <laughs> I just had to I mean, make that joke. I mean, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely helps to, to have those people in the know to feed you information. Yeah, and PW Spyware. <laughs> we had to make that yeah. joke. Well. I never, I never had to deal with that. I mean, I've gone, I've gone there, but at least I, you know my computer is pretty strong with uh, antivirus. So I never had to deal with that. No, I think I, I had one incident with PW Insider. That's it. Um, yeah. Back in like in my early fandom days. Um, yeah, it, it's really weird. Um, like how how everything like different people are different are differently tight with the newsletters, like writers, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's always interesting to see what information gets out. Yeah, I mean, it's... Sometimes uh, stuff gets out there, and sometimes uh, stuff gets uh, hidden in secret. The, the perfect example of it uh, in, in recently is uh, my friend Stokely Hathaway. Um, when, he, when they announced he got signed by WWE... No one saw that coming. Not. Yeah, he didn't tell anybody. That stuff was very tight-lipped. And uh, when it got out there, I was like, whoa! I mean, came out of nowhere because, you know, uh, I mean, even people that knew Stokely well was like, wow, I mean, we, didn't, we, we didn't know this was coming. And that's very rare these days in wrestling for something to not get out there like that. Because, like, the whole February signing class was out before they announced it. Oh, yeah, I mean, God, I mean, I... I I knew what people signed. Oh, I knew. I I knew Nick Camarado was signed a year ago. <laughs> like literally, literally. That stuff gets out there more now than it's ever been. Yeah, you know, and like I said, Twitter being like it is, Facebook being like it is, there's more of a direct contact between people that are not in the media business or just whatever with people that are, are working working as like independent guys talent and they build a relationship there and then they move up or whatever and they, you know it's that's like, where dark wrestling twitter comes yeah stuff just gets out there yeah and you don't even have to be on dark wrestling twitter yeah get out there eventually you know it does it always finds its way yes um is there a week that that you that's even been requested that you would not do for any reason 
maybe I got this question because remember I had a Patreon Q&A. Um, I asked about the Benoit situation and your memories behind that. I don't think you would cover that week. Is there like a no-go week? There's not one that, uh, there's not a week I wouldn't do. We did Owen Hart. Right. Uh, that was a request of the rest of show. Um, that was a tough, I mean, that was tough. the problem with the toughest week to do, uh, Louis Nicoli's death was another one. That was a tough week to do because that hit people hard. Um, stuff like that, I mean, though, when, you, when, you, when your main story is a tragedy, and that those are going to be the toughest ones to do in that way. Um, yeah, we haven't done the Benoit stuff yet, and um, I know we'll have to do it eventually. But uh, I mean, there's nothing I won't say no to. Right. As far as the week goes, we have to do it. I mean, if we, if we stay, tr- I mean, we're staying true to our show. We have to do every week that we can, and until you know whatever, until we can't do no more. So we can't skip nothing. That, that would be depriving our listeners of something that needs to be heard. Um, so, what have you? I mean, just because just because it's bad doesn't mean it's that we can you know erase it from history. I mean, it's it's part of history. It has to be out there for people to know and understand. Right. You know what was the thought process at the time what was you know people need to know yeah i agree with that i agree with that anomaly of like like even though this was bad and it's gonna be painful to go through like this needs to be out there because somebody might do it again i hope not but you never know i mean and it goes i mean stuff like that goes on every day a lot too but yeah hopefully that won't have that won't happen in wrestling Right. As a fan, what is your advice for reading into what Dave and Wade say or any other newsletter writer? Is there an exact science behind it? Um, hmm. I don't know. Speechless. Speechless. I rendered Chris Zellner speechless. Like, you've been reading these newsletters for many years, and you've been, like... Yeah. Like, y- you read into what they say all the time. Like, yeah. read between the lines, sort of stuff. And you have to do it with Dave, because Dave will leave a nugget of information out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's stuff in there that you definitely are just kind of vague, and for a reason and stuff that could be out there that you like you said read between the lines for sure so you I mean it's kind of it's kind of a science yeah you kind of have to when you do enough of it you'll, you'll understand yeah yeah I think that would be what have you learned from uncovering some of wrestling's greatest mystery, mysterious factoids and mysteries? Was that an intention on your guys' part, or is it something that just happens? A lot of stuff just happens. Um, 
Like that Paul Heyman, Eddie Gilbert stuff. That was enthralling way to go right there. Well, the, 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 um, that was. Uh, probably the biggest one, though, was the, uh, when we did the global Patreon show. Oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, little Yemi and just on a lark, just fighting, doing research on all these names that were involved and fighting out this stuff through um, the state of Georgia business websites. We were uncovering stuff and uncovering connections there. I mean, that's good stuff. I mean, I mean that's stuff that's not that's not planned. It's all it's off the cuff, you know. And we've had a, a few of those things. Um, and it's Bix's nature to ask questions. That's something that I always enjoy about Between the Sheets. So Bix always has a question, and it's like, I don't know. Let's look. Sometimes you, I mean, I know people say, oh, use Google during the show, stuff like that. Well, sometimes you need to, to do the research on the show while you're doing the show to uh, find out the information you need to find. That stuff never bothered me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's what it, what, part of what we do. We can plan out so much, but sometimes things happen spontaneously. Yeah, and it's sort of like it's a mismatch of things like that that global show I remember listening to that I'm like what did they just uncover <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean a lot of great information on that show that's one of our that's some of our best stuff is those Patreon shows and I, I say that about a lot of our Patreon shows and then it costs five dollars a month for people to be on at patreon.com slash twin sheets and I say that we put out shows that are worth that money. Yes, because it is worth it. I, I have subscribed in the Patreon in the in the past, and it's something where you learn something that you weren't looking to learn, but like, it's sort of like when you did the expansion shows, it was like 94, yeah, that's, that's like the mafia connections. Yeah, that was Japanese. Yeah, the Japanese stuff, yeah. And yeah. man, the mafia and the wrestling. What a history that is. Well, I mean, that, that, I mean, that's Japan, you know, for many years. U.S. had that go on way back in the day, but I mean, that, that stuff in, in Japan still goes on today. So, yeah. Yakuza definitely has their hands in it, for sure. What lessons should wrestlers, promoter, promoters, promotions, and fans should learn from listening to Between the Sheets? Um, don't repeat the mistakes other people made. You need to go back and listen. You know, um, the history repeats itself, and it has a lot of times. Go back and listen and learn and figure out, hey, we don't need to go this way. We don't need to do what they did. Yeah. Whoever, whether it's WCW, or New Japan, whatever, you know, any other promotions, Japanese promotions, just learn from the mistakes. And there were a lot of mistakes made. And well, that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> even during WWE's best year, two thousand, and it's something something that struck me is like. They're on the stock market, and they were only making $16 a share in 2000. Right now, they're at $93 a share. Yeah. And uh, that's worst. Different time, different time and place. I mean, a lot of things, a lot of things are different now than it was then, that's for sure. 
yeah, and it's honestly incredible to see, um, like, what goes into, um, um, stuff, um, you know, and it's, it's incredible, it's just incredible the fountain of information we have now. Because I can pull up All Japan Pro Wrestling from 1993 up on YouTube and watch that and share that. I, I showed somebody the 03 Misawa Kobashi match for the first time um, that they ever saw. And they were like, jaw jacked. And there was a lot of great stuff in there. And then you, you, you look, and then you look. Like, something I covered, uh, was uncovered recently, the Knoxville Five. Even. Yeah, well, that's been around, as soon as I put it out there. Really? That's been around? Bo, Bo, Bo James had that for years. But never thought to say, this is an... He, he, he's known of it, let's put it that way. He's known, he's known of it for years. He's the first one that brought that to us, to our attention. Yeah, and that... Before, before, before I mean, it had hit... It hit a small, uh, small Facebook account, and we watched it, and then it was like a few days later when it started getting traction to everybody else. And it's an incredible video, like Bob Brew, Bob Orton. What they were going to do was they were going to try to send that the Jim. They were sitting to Jim Crockett trying to force him to do something. They were like, Crockett's like, screw you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, because yeah. you're exposing the business at that point. When it yeah. didn't need to be exposed, and then Vince did what he did. Yeah. How different would wrestling be if the cat wasn't out of the bag before the internet, and then the internet exposed the bag? No, it would have been out there. People knew it. People knew what the deal was. They just right they because of the exposés of the thirties. Don't want to be insulted. Right. Right because of the exposés of the thirties and forties and stuff like that, and. And, like, when Madison Square Garden was selling out, like, McAdam was telling me, like, in the 50s, with, like, these ethnic talents, um, and the newspapers were still, the English language newspapers were still doing digs at the, uh, at the, uh, the, the wrestling, you know, because of the exposés of 20 years earlier. I mean, wrestling goes in cycles anyway, so, you know, it's, it's going to be popular to the mainstream, and it won't be popular to the mainstream, and then... It will be again. Know, come back. It, it, just, it just comes back. Yeah, and it, it's really interesting to see all the cycles that wrestling has gone through. Like, I've been on it for some of its highs and some of its lows. You know. Yeah, you were at you were at like WCW like a lot during your days as a fan, right? Well, there was a, in my area a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of their shows were in Georgia, so it was you know easy to go to. Right. What was that like? Like going to like a Nitro '98, for instance. Uh, I mean, those are, those are interesting shows. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. The TV uh, tapings before that were extremely long. Oh yeah. Uh, in the in the early mid '90s, but 
Yeah, it was just fun to go to and have, you know, it was a good time. And what, when you saw wrestling for the first time, what was your first impression? Well, I can't remember because I was like five years old. I just remember watching wrestling on television. Right. Um, don't remember. Who or what? I mean, I, yeah, it was George Championship Wrestling. That's what I, I mean, I remember more anything else, but, uh. I mean, my family was into it, so it just, that's where it spawned from. Watching it when, you know, my dad was watching it, my brothers watched it, so that's just how I got into it, and that's how it's been ever since. Right, and when you found out that it was fake or uh, fixed, um, it, it's one of those things like you're like, okay, you shrug it off. No, it didn't matter to me. It didn't matter. <laughs> like, I, you want to know how. I, young I knew what it was I never really I wasn't one of these that really was gung-ho and believing everything was real you want to know how I found out you yeah, so before Smackdown it, they were doing a wrestling block on my network TV it, when Smackdown was on like the former UPN um saying yeah. um my network TV and they had the uh, Harley race wrestling secrets exposed on before yeah. the match, before SmackDown. At, yeah, I remember the, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> with the stunt Grammy and the blade, and yeah. that's how I found out. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a lot of a lot of like kids found out, you know, in that time period. You know, those those shows that were out there because there were multiple versions of that, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That stuff happens. What they what they said. Are there any interesting behind the scenes tidbits from that show? I don't know, really. I've never really. Uh, I mean, I watched it when it came out, and that's about it. That's the only experience I really have. I don't think we really talked about on our show much at all. We talked about one of them, but it, the one on NBC. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't that much to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's just interesting. The one with Anthony Durante, Pitbull 2, Michael Modest, Harley Race as the Booker, Eddie Man, And then Eddie Mansfield had one in 1987. For the, the 2020 thing, of course, we talked about recently between the Chiefs and John Stossel. Yeah, that was, that's always something that people look back on, you know, because that was the first big one in that era. And Dr. D is actually doing, like, bookings now and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he's, he's back on the scene, so... Good for Dr. D to get out there. He, he's had an interesting life. I mean, I mean, his life outside of wrestling is probably way more interesting than his wrestling. Like a guy with a bounty hunter. Oh, <laughs> right. A real life bounty hunter. What? He would go, he re repo man, bounty hunted. I mean, he, he, he would go out and do some dangerous stuff. You know, he's still alive, so. Yeah. Him, because he could, in that business, he could very easily get killed. What was your first impression when you saw Ric Flair? Um, as a kid, I always thought he was funny. Because um, he, he had great promos. Um, I've always been a Flair fan. I've always loved Ric Flair. As far as I remember. So. And then you have a music collection, too, like that spawns many yeah. decades. We got it. We got to talk about this because I, I, I host a show here on Monco called Hard and Heavy. 
where I play like the latest hard rock and then some classic rock, some stuff like that. And it's amazing how music has evolved. like the wrestling business you know in a lot of ways too it's like some stuff is hot and then some stuff you know goes away for a while it's like you know and then the rock scene yeah really not, there's really not a rock scene as far as like mainstream music right now so yeah you know, there, is, there is a scene but it's not mainstream exactly you know it's not like it used to be it used to be dominated you know in a lot of ways and then it's gonna come back you know, MTV was in there heyday i mean that was you know rock was a huge force on there but everything is so poppy and dance oriented now then you know it will come and, back and will it come back well it did in your in the 80s because that rock scene kind of fell out of the mainstream in the late 70s with disco but uh it made us come back as the 80s went along so as far as like pop stuff so, I mean, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't consider, like, the Imagine Dragons rock because it's like, no. <laughs> it's, just, it's just different. I mean, it, there's so much hybrid music now. There's, I mean, it's, it's way different than what it used to be. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting to see all the uh, different personalities that have done wrestling and music, like Gene Oakland, um, Jimmy Hart. Yeah, it's been a lot of them over the years. Sure. Fred Blassie. You had the, the WF wrestling albums and stuff like that, and other people being involved. Hard and Slaughter had Thinking Phone theme song one time. I mean, you, just different people. Lou Albano uh, managing RBQ. I mean, there, there's a lot of different stuff over the years that wrestling and music have been involved with. And you know, mutually. Like, uh, wrestling, it, it's such a vast. Top, I call it the perfect amalgamation of, like, comedy, drama, music, everything. You get everything in wrestling, and that's what I truly love about it. Yeah, pretty much. You're right. Um, and it's sort of like, like, I, it's transcendent. And there's not many transcendent forms of entertainment that really catch my eye, but wrestling happened to catch my eye. If you know what I mean. And, um, I was thinking, like, 20 more minutes, maybe? Okay. Um, like, is there, like, what wrestlers made a strong first impression on you? Everything, um, just being this dominant force, um, Dusty Rhodes, charisma, yeah, promos, uh, Man MTA, just the toughness that he exuded, and he was like the man's man, um, Nikita Koloff being this Russian powerhouse, um, guys like that, definitely. Um, the Horseman in general. Love the Horseman as a kid. Um, and uh, just other stuff. I love Ted, uh, Ted DiBiase uh, when he was in Mid-South. Oh, yeah. We were, ta- we were talking about DiBiase and Savage, the house show program, me and McAdam the other day um, on Sunday. And, like, like 
you sort of could tell like DiBiase was working the gimmick when he was facing Savage in the WWF, but um, it, it it's really interesting to see all the weird house show programs that have happened over the years. I mean, when WF, he, 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 he basically relied on his gimmick, and that's what he needed to do in WF. He didn't have to go out there and have the great great matches all the time because the gimmick was carrying the load. Right. Uh, so when you watch him in, in Mid-South UWF and wherever else, you know, he wrestled, you see a different Ted DiBiase. And, he, I mean, he was a tremendous performer. Um, I mean, the, the promotions I grew up, see, I was lucky, you know, growing up, in you know the Atlanta area, where I was able to have access to, you know, Joe Pedicino's big wrestling block on Channel Thirty Six, and then other wrestling television shows all over television on Saturday and, and Sunday. So, I mean, wrestling was a huge part of my childhood because it was always on television on the weekends. Uh, wrestling, I mean, especially. You know, when football wasn't this season, you know, I wasn't watching football or anything. Um, I was mainly just wrestling or whatever, you know, after a certain point in time. So, uh, what were those wrestling blocks like? Like, like, well, I mean, it, start, it started out, you know, gradually. I mean, it was a couple hours and then it went to four hours and then it went to six hours. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you, you're going from, on that particular station, you're going from 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. of nothing but wrestling on Saturday night, and that's following a TBS two-hour show. Right. And, and then other shows that were randomly on. In the morning. A morning or afternoon on other channels. So, I mean, wrestling's just dominating your day in a lot of ways. You're seeing wrestling from around the world, you know, that really not a lot of people can get access to in other places. So... You know, I was able to watch Mid-South. I was able to watch Continental. I was able to watch Memphis. I was able to watch Champion Wrestling Florida. I was able to watch at one time WC in Puerto Rico. Um, other random stuff. You know, of course, Pro Wrestling This Week was on, and they spotlighted everybody. So right. You see Portland. You see Calgary. You see Japan. You know, I mean, you see all kinds Mexico. of Mexico. On, on those shows, of course, World Class was on in the area. And, you know, I mean, we got to see basically everything. Every wrestling promotion I was able to have access to. AWA as well, of course. So, uh, EMLL. Yeah, it was, that started later. Uh, I, was able to start watch, I was able to start watching that in, in 89. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was, there was all kinds of wrestling I was, I was able to watch. Japan was the same way. I had a Japanese friend in school that, had a, that would get tapes. So I would watch his tapes. So, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I w- I've been able to see everything, pretty much. So that's one good thing about being in this area, is, is having that exposure. What are some of your favorite angles? Flair, Dusty. 
I mean, that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that went on there. That was just an ever, ever going thing. I mean, that went on for, for years. Uh, I'm trying to think of ones just people, I mean, would constantly talk about. I mean, Mid, Mid South had a lot. Coal Miner's Glove. Um, Coal Miner's Glove. Well, Doug and DiBiase, I mean, definitely a strong angle. Uh, you know, best dressed man in the South and all that stuff. Um, Bill Washington buried in the Russian flag. Always a great angle there. Uh, Memphis, God knows they had plenty of them over the years. Uh, Lawler making being drunk at his house. Uh, um, the the Lawler losing town stuff. Was, you know, Lawler coming back with young referee Jeff Jarrett getting attacked by Bill Dundee and Buddy Landell. Um, God, it's just so much. I mean, the Freebirds turning the Von Erichs a world class and setting up, you know, major business for years. Um, it's just, that's a lot of them, man. I mean, a lot of great angles over the years. Um, matches, too? Yeah, Continental. Oh, God, matches. I don't know. <laughs> that's so many. Right. A lot, a lot of great Japanese matches over the years. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many matches I've seen. Uh, I, mean, I think it's I, I think you can see like any amount of matches and it's like oh my god because I can't tell you it's in the thousands it's in the thousands it's probably in the hundreds of thousands with you yeah there's just so many um like as a wrestling collector you, you and a wrestling preserver of history it's like almost second nature I'm, I'm, you know, I like more of the complete stuff. Where you're I, a completist. Like complete shows. Yeah. I, I'm not a guy that's real big. I mean, I, I have them and stuff like that, and I've got them, but I'm not a, like a compilation person. I like having full television shows and stuff, everything. I like to have the full grasp of everything I'm watching. Right, and that's always important just to get the full context. Yeah. I mean, watching a match cold is okay, but I mean, I'd rather know. I'd rather be seeing the promos and the angles, everything that's going on with it. That that makes it what it is. I was going to ask you about Bill Watts. He is a major figure in wrestling history. Oh yeah, absolutely. As a wrestler and a promoter. Um, some of the stuff is just wild with them. Like some of the stuff you guys have uncovered specifically. With, like, the Torch Talks. Bill Watts is, uh... If you read his book, I mean, he is what he is. He's a, he's a genuine article. Um, he believes in what he says. He's walking tall. I mean, he is, he is Bill Watts. I mean, he's an alpha male. And, you know, he's apologized for a lot of stuff that he's done over the years, too. But he's still Bill Watts. Right. And, uh, he's a very interesting character, to say the least, even to this day. Yes. Um, and to this day, it's like Billy Jack Haynes. Like, like oh, oh. He's Billy Jack Haynes. <laughs> he, I mean, uh, he's had a lot of issues in the past. He said stuff that could be true, but you got to take it with a grain of salt. And that's one thing you got to be careful with a lot of these wrestlers. Right. Remember, they're, I mean, wrestlers are carnies, they're liars, and stuff like that. So, yeah, they may be speaking truth, for sure, 
but you can't just take everything they say as the gospel. My last question for you, Chris, before we get into the plug section of this show where we can plug everything that you do with all the great stuff, is how much longer do you envision doing this? <laughs> as long as I can. <laughs> as long as you're physically able? As long as I'm mentally able. <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh, physically is one thing, mentally is the other thing. Um, yeah, as long as me and Vince can... can uh, can do it without, you know, me trying to strangle him through the phone through the phone line sometimes. Uh, I bet that's happened several times. <laughs> well, hey, you know, every good partnership they, you know, they have their uh, their times where they have disagreements and stuff, and that's just the way it is. I, you know, I we we've had our spats off air and on air. And everything's all right in the end. So that's just the way it is. Right. Every good partnership. These days, a lot of people don't do that. As soon as they have an argument or something like that, they're through with them and stuff like that. And it's not the way life should be, you know. It's like, I I have learned. I've learned. We have disagreements. and And I have had people flat out not accept my apologies for things I said like two years ago. And it hurts me. To no end. If they're gonna be like that, screw them. Yeah, that that's what that's the attitude I've gotten now because it's like I let the stuff like because I have mental illness and stuff like that and and like I've let stuff get to me and I would explode and at people and I'm like I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, just don't worry about it, you know. You know. Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about it at all. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's like. Uh, and that's what people keep telling me, and I I have to just keep instilling it into my brain instead of holding grudges and stuff like that, because that that, that doesn't work with anybody, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, plugs, man. All right, uh, everything that I do, audio wise, is uh, on our SoundCloud page and. Probably the easiest way to get to it is betweenthesheetspod.com. That's like straight there. Um, all the Between the Sheets episodes, the regular shows, Exile on Bad Street, everything is there. So you can go check it out there. Uh, uh, new shows every Monday for Between the Sheets. And uh, we got two basically this week. Um, we have the main show, which is everything except the U.S. Independence Eve from 96 during uh, the week of March the 13th and the 19th. Uh, our dear friend Alan uh, Cunahan, Alan Farrell on Twitter. Yes, I love him. Was on and uh, we talk about all kind of good stuff on there. And then Bo James, who we talked about before on the show, is on during the U.S. Independence segment, which wasn't intended to be its own show, but it got that way. Yeah, so, it always does. Bo, uh, definitely did a lot of storytelling and because uh, he's for he his actual promotion ran that way and this first time we really has covered have covered his promotion so so he had stories of booking and stuff like that and everything yeah i can't that's wait to delve into it and another hour and a half with you and me 
<laughs> yeah. And uh, Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. Five dollars a month allows you to get the access to all the audio. And uh, so definitely check that out. And all the other tiers are on there as well. So if you're interested in that, go check that out. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-E-E-L-L-N-E-R. And the show uh, Twitter feed is at DT Sheets Pod. So uh, check it out. You can follow me on Twitter at DJ D. Cooks Russell and DJ D. Cooks Music for my music stuff and my wrestling stuff. And keep up to date with me. You can follow me on Instagram at dcookiepunk43. I have had pictures of everything that I have done over the past few years. And it's always fun. And thank you all for listening. You, this is Meet the Press Slam. And you were listening to that on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet.